Well, today, if, if there's one thing I've learned about myself that I want to share, I think over the course of my life as I've pondered this, it's that I will always attempt to take more grocery bags in than is actually feasible, right? I'm always, when, when given the, uh, the, you know, I'm looking in the trunk, you see a million bags, I'm going to go, I'm going to take them all. We're going to get them all in the house in one run, you know. Uh, I don't want to go back and forth too much, right? And so I'm always going to take that extra bag. I'm always going to take that extra gallon of milk, even if it means like your fingers are being cut off from all circulation, or they're bending in weird ways. Have you ever tried to grab two gallons of milk and then about halfway to the kitchen, you're like, I might actually hurt a tendon doing this somehow, right? And so you're speed walking. And I'm, so I'm always going to play this game, right? And it's not just with the, the grocery bags. I do this when I'm cleaning my house and I get loads of stuff that have to go upstairs or downstairs, right? I do it with the million plastic cups the kids leave in my car. Oh, I can carry just one more, right? I, you know, basically, basically any situation, if I see that I can do it, I'm going to try to do it. And sometimes it can come back to bite us, can it not? When you're carrying too much, there's no worse feeling than seeing it all come crashing to the floor and then seeing that glass break and knowing how long it'll take you to clean it up or, you know, a box of screws scatter all over. You've probably got your own stories of things that you've allowed to come crashing down that you just couldn't carry. And it's actually fairly close to the truth of how we go through life. We carry the demands of day-to-day -day life on our shoulders, and often it is too much. It's hard to shoulder all of the tasks, all of the relationships, all of the things that we feel like we must do. And much, you know, it's hard for us to do the things that we feel that we need to do to get by, much less give consideration to our hopes for the future. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. To all of us a child is born, Isaiah says, who can shoulder it all. When Isaiah says government, think coming worldwide kingdom of God. Think of all of our greatest desires for society, for our loved ones, for our own personal peace and prosperity in life. Isaiah tells us that all of that will be on the shoulders, will be carried by a child. Not only that, but Isaiah tells us that this child will have a few different names. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, right? He, he will know the right path in every situation and share his wisdom with us. He'll be called Mighty God. He'll be divinity in the flesh. Nothing will stand in his way because he has the strength. He'll be called Everlasting Father. So he's not just like a God like in Greek or, or Roman mythology, you know, one of the gods, right? He is the God. He will be the one with the Father. And unlike our earthly parents, he will never pass away, right? There will never be a time where he leaves us to fend for ourselves. And Isaiah says he will be called Prince of Peace, Prince of Shalom, of total well-being. He wants the best for us 
He wants to bring an end to all strife. One psalm says he makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. Taken all together, it's clear that Isaiah is talking about the Messiah, which to the Jews, literally Messiah means anointed one. But essentially, it meant Savior, the long-awaited Savior. And it is with this backdrop that the angel appears and tells Mary You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Jesus is the Greek transliteration, the Greek version of the name Joshua, which means he saves. And so Jesus is the answer. He is the long-awaited one, the one that Isaiah prophesied about 600 years prior. It is he who comes to save. That is who is lying in the manger on Christmas. We don't just celebrate another birthday or a cute baby, all that it, that is cause for celebration. But we celebrate that he who has come to fulfill the words of Isaiah 9-7 is here. Jesus gives us the word, the Bible, as wonderful counsel. Uh, but not only that, he does even better. He sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us to be our constant counselor that we can turn to at any moment. Jesus is mighty God whose strength allows him to to resist sin, to be that perfect sacrifice for us, to redeem all of humanity at the cross. Jesus is the everlasting one who my grandfather turned to, my father after him. He says, surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. And Jesus gives us a peace that transcends all understanding and we receive it by faith. These are the promises that God gives us and the promises that God fulfills for us in Jesus. This is what gives us the warm fuzzies on Christmas. We celebrate on Christmas boisterously and and rightly so because of this. And yet, if we're honest, I think all of us know that don't we also come on Christmas with some sense of disappointment, with, with some discontent, this, some idea that, you know what, Jesus has come, the Savior has come, but not all has been made right. That he has saved us and we're forgiven, and yet Jesus' kingdom has not arrived in complete fullness. It's, it's a curious thing, right, that we know that we're saved and yet we, we don't always feel like we are saved from the burdens of the world. At times, you know, we still feel like we have to shoulder that burden alone. We carry more than we realistically can. And so at Christmas, we give thanks for the Prince of Peace and we receive his peace, but we also long to have it in fullness. We, we live in between the first and the second coming, in the now and the not yet. We've got one foot in both realities. And, and so what do we do with that? And I love what the Psalms say about this. Particularly Psalm 89 is a great example of what to do with this. Is God wants wants to hear our heart and he wants to hear both sides of it. And I love how both realities can exist in, in a faithful person at the same time. And Psalm 89 proves that. And this 
there's two sides of this. Here's the first side. The psalmist says, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I'll declare that your love stands firm forever, that you've established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, God, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant. I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty and your faithfulness surrounds you. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong. Your right hand is exalted. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. This, this is someone who gives thanks for God. And then yet in the same psalm, he says this, How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? That in the psalmist's mind, God's love feels like a thing of the past. And so the psalmist articulates for us what we all feel. That it's our joy to worship at the manger, but it's our deep longing to worship in paradise. And then I got to the end of Isaiah 9-7, and I came across a, a curious sentence. And I don't know if you caught this when we read it, but it says, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And I thought, what in the world does zeal have to do with, with anything? Of all the things that God has at his disposal, why is his zeal, why is it important for us to know that? The zeal of Yahweh, the God of angel armies, will accomplish all of these things. The Hebrew word for zeal, kinah, is, is also translated as jealousy in a lot of places. It gets to be said that, that he is jealous for us, not of us, but for us. He is passionate about you and about me. That as much as we long for the burdens lifted, for there to be total peace on earth, he longs for it more. He has since before we were born. And we can rest assured that God will stop at nothing until he gets what he wants. There's no burden that he won't lift, that he hasn't lifted already for you and for me. And so, though it feels like we bear our burdens still, and we do, we do not bear them alone. And we look to the manger with hope. We look to the manger trusting that all will be made right. And because all will be made right, all is right. Because in that manger, the Prince of Peace has come. And he comes. We pray. God, we thank you for your word, which always points us to the truth. And though things, though we may have many questions about things in this life, Lord, we gather around the manger at this time because we know that you are good. We sing of, of your praises, your counsel, your might, 
your permanence in our lives, the peace peace that you bring, that you want the best for us, Lord. We don't understand all the right things about your timing, all the ways in which you're working, and you're working in many ways to bring about peace on earth through the spread of the gospel. That every time we share the gospel, Lord, we're participating in that work that you're active. But I take heart in this, we take heart in this this evening, that what we long for passively, Lord, you are passionately longing for actively. And you are making it true. You are making peace a reality. And it all starts at the manger. And so tonight, we thank you. Tonight, we worship and we sing. Born is the one who carries the hopes of the world. In Jesus' name, we all pray.